History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. If you hear a historical story, and at the end you feel thoroughly satisfied by it, and find that it perfectly coincides with your own political inclinations, it probably means that you're actually listening to ideology or mythology. History won't oblige us, and much of its challenge and interest come from its immovable differentness from us and from our own world. So what we have to do is to approach it as calmly as possible. Glad you're with us for hour three of a Tuesday morning, the 20th of February, 2024. Richmond Transmission and Auto Service, this hour's sponsor of the program. Headline at BillMick.com, Power and Greed. We talked that in the last hour of the show. You can always pick it up in the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Dave Bowman with us throughout the day, and in this hour... It's Dave Does History as uh, Dave gets up bright and early, puts a lot of prep work into bringing these uh, looks into history for us. Dave, we appreciate that. And uh, you say we're going to the Civil War in Florida and one particular general in uh, in general. So what are we looking at? I am fascinated by people. People are what really makes history. Sure. And events that happen don't happen without people involved with them and it's it's that almost sounded kamala harris like almost but i almost said something i shouldn't say on radio sorry (laughs) it involves selling something that we were talking about yesterday anyway the point the point of all this being that these stories that have long been forgotten or not been forgotten how's the uh, this past week in the first place well i don't even know if that's the case this past week bill i I was I was struggling with a writing assignment for one of my classes and I just randomly came across a guy in history by the name of Henry Wilson who happened to be the 18th vice president of the United States and he okay. fit in with what I was doing and it was like never heard of the guy except you know I probably read his name on a list somewhere but when you start delving into these lives of people you learn things about them that are that are amazing and then when you see What's going on in our country right now, particularly with how we treat history, you start to realize that most of this movement to destroy history is targeted. And it's targeted in such a way that makes it look more important than it really is. Because there are people out there that if what we're being told about the destruction of history being necessary is true... Well, these are the people that should be erased, but they're not being because pretty much nobody knows about them. And in particular, we're talking today about one guy who happens to be, I, I wouldn't call him a founding member of Florida, but he was certainly one of your your fathers of the state before it became a state, one of the most important people in the history of your state, who would eventually go on to become a Civil War general and would lead his troops in the largest battle in Florida in the United States Civil War. We'll get it started in 60 seconds on WMMB. Funny, you find Dave does history at the same place as we talk a little history this morning. So, General Joseph Finnegan, Dave, what do we need to know about him? I always enjoy starting a sentence with these words. In 1814, we took a little trip. (laughs) In 1814, in Ireland... Joseph Finnegan is born, and, you know, like so many people of that generation, 
he manages in 1830 to find his way to the United States of America. Now, what is he, 15, 16 years old then? Yeah. He arrives in Florida, of all places, which at the time, in 1830, was not a state. It was a territory at that point, and Florida up to that point had had quite the history, of course, with uh, with Andrew Jackson, the Creek Wars, those kinds of things, Spain. It was, and it was an inhospitable kind of place, as as we as it could be today, between the between the bugs and the the alligators. Now, as we live in the former Mosquito County, yes, right. right. Florida has its has its issues, and that doesn't even count the occasional hurricane flowing through there. He moves to Florida in the 1830s, and he he actually becomes very involved with railroading in Florida. Now, again, when you think of railroading, I don't live in Florida, so it's not something that pops up into my head. I haven't been there since 2005, so it's not something I really think about. But in the early days of Florida, when Florida first became eventually a state in 1845, there were a lot of people coming to the east coast of Florida who wanted, for some reason, to get to the Gulf of Mexico. And they didn't want to sail all the way around Florida, so they built a railroad across Florida to move people and goods from the east coast of Florida to the Gulf of Mexico side of things. Mm -hmm. And this guy, Joseph Finnegan, was heavily invested in that, heavily involved with that, and managed to become very wealthy. He married. So he was a person of substance to start with if oh, he's invested in railroads, right? He was, but but imagine this is a guy that came from Ireland, so you know he didn't come he didn't come here rich, right? But in the American dream, he manages to 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 be successful there in Florida. He marries well. He marries a very into a very wealthy family that happens to be his his sister in law is the wife of the territorial governor. Does that make sense? Yes, sister-in-law's wife is the sister of the territorial governor. And the territorial governor at the time has very strong connections to the White House and Martin Van Buren. So this is a guy who's starting to move into politics. He's starting to move into that rarefied air that we were talking about last hour of control, riches, power, those sorts of things. And, And he's becoming very successful. He buys a bunch of land on Lake Monroe, which, as I understand it, is just north of Orlando. He ends up building a mansion in a place called, and I'm going to mispronounce it again, what, what was it called? Fernand, Fernandina? Fernandina Beach. Fernandina Beach. He actually builds a huge mansion there. And, of course, like most rich, white, southerners, landowners with political connections, he is a slave owner because that's what you did back then. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to be, I, I know we tend to look at that now as very negatively and, and it should be looked at negatively, but it wasn't it was unusual. The it, it was the, the way of the world at the time. Yeah. So yeah. it's the best you can say about it. There's no real reports about what kind of, of slaveholder he was, whether he was a bad, Slave owner, or good. There's none of that 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 is locatable. But he was a slave owner. He was rich. He was connected politically. And so when Florida begins to debate whether they're going to secede or not, he of course is sent as a representative of his area to the secession conference. 
convention, whatever you want to call it, and votes uh, to remove Florida from the Union. So from the very beginning, this guy is a Confederate. I mean, he's he's. It's hard for us to understand this today, this loyalty to state versus loyalty to country. The, the George Washington was very concerned about this. He thought that that would be a problem. Madison and Hamilton thought the same thing. But it was not unusual in those days for someone to put their state ahead of the nation. So if something was beneficial to the nation but detrimental to your state, most people in that state would would be against it. They would not support the country doing that, which, of course, caused all kinds of problems, um, including the expansion of slavery and that sort of thing. But this is what happens. He ends up, much like Robert E. Lee, you know, claims I should never draw my sword against Virginia. He's he's sort of in the same vote, only he's a Floridian, not a, not a Tidewater. And so you end up with this situation where, Florida has seceded, now part of the Confederacy, and Fennigan, who is well-connected, well-off, is commissioned as a brigadier general, actually commissioned as a colonel, but but later his, he, he gains his commission as a general, in the Confederate States Army. And so, as of now, he is a Confederate general, but you don't really read a whole lot about battles in Florida, do you? No. Why is that, do you think? Because it's the backwater. through the rest of the South to get here. Yeah, it's kind of the backwater of everything, although it's got some good resources and sorts that sort of thing. And so, you know, he's kind of, well, what do I do? He, he commands the Florida Brigade, and it seems like it should be one of those really great, you know, you're, you're a big part of this, we're excited to have you here kind of thing, but there really isn't all that much to do in Florida except blockade run, which he doesn't get off to a good start with. We'll talk about that uh, coming up in the next segment. And really, it's it's he he has a problem with rum runners too. So uh, unlike other units in the Civil War, his unit didn't leave Florida to go fight elsewhere. They were basically charged with protecting Florida. One could look at it as they were just the local militia. Charged with collecting, protecting Florida. And so he's sort of, you know, it's kind of one of those jobs that's a non-job, Bill. You're a general, but we don't really need you up here in Virginia. So just stay there. Like being a talk radio host. No job. (laughs) Sort of like that. So, but he's, uh, he's determined and he's going to do the best job he can. And that is going to involve making some mistakes and then getting put in charge of feeding the entire Confederate Army, which I bet you didn't know Florida did. No, I didn't. Most people don't. Well, if all the other crops are burning, I guess you got to go where they're not burning any, which would make sense, I suppose. Well, it turns out Florida is a lot like Wyoming. you got a lot of cattle. Cold. Not as cold. Yeah, but you still got a lot of cows. Except for this morning. It was really cold coming in today. More Dave Does History as we continue at Tuesday. This is Bill McLaughlin.
Dave Bowman joins us for our weekly dive into history. Pay attention, there will be a test. Nah, there won't be a test. But you will be held accountable. Bill Nick Live. Thank you, Victor Lyle. Dave Bowman is with us with Dave Does History here today. Richmond Transmission and Auto Service bringing you this hour of the program. We're talking about a Confederate general from Florida. Ended up being basically assigned here in Florida, stayed here during the Civil War with the job of protecting the homeland, apparently. General Joseph Finnegan, a person of substance and and political connection, Dave, was that basically the path to being a general in the Civil War is is you're of substance, you're known, you are you are someone who could be perceived as being able to be away and lead such a, a, a mass of troops? You know, it was a different world and a different time. And being a general in the Civil War, especially in the early part of the Civil War, was more about having a name. If you ever want to have a, an interesting experience, go look at the roster of people who went to the Democrat convention in 1860 and the Republican convention in 1860 and just start picking out the names of politicians who were there who end up as Civil War generals. And how many of them went to West Point together? Very few because those people were not being made generals early in the war. They were, now, now some of them were because they resigned from the army and joined their state militias, their state volunteer organizations, and they were made generals of volunteers. Hmm. So like, like, uh, uh, Ulysses S. Grant became a brigadier general of the Illinois volunteers. He wasn't in the U.S. Uh, general in the U.S. army until later on. It, it, it it's kind of one of those things where most of it, particularly in the early part of the war, is is political connections, and that's certainly the case with Finnegan here. I mean, he's a rich guy. Why wouldn't you make him a general? He's got political connections. He's got all this kind of stuff, and so of course you make him a general, and then you you put him in charge of what is called the Middle and Eastern Florida District where his job is primarily to assist what are known as blockade runners. Remember that the North blockaded the South. And so you've got these blockade runners running in and out. And his 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 command there doesn't start well because one of the first things that happens is one of these blockade runners is coming into a place called the, the Mosquito Inlet. You would know it today as the Ponce de Leon Inlet. And the... the the blockade runner runs aground and gets stuck. Well, it shouldn't be a big deal, except that while it's stuck there, the civilian population decides that, hey, look at that. And so the civilians, who are supposed to be loyal Confederates, go out and steal all the stuff from the ship, the rifles, the ammunition, medical supplies, blankets, shoes. All these civilians just steal all this stuff. And he has to spend months chasing it all down. And and then he actually issues a general public appeal. Hey, please bring this stuff back. We need this. They get most of the rifles back, but nothing else. They don't get the ammunition. They don't get the blankets, the medical supply. None of that stuff they get. So it doesn't get off to a good start for Mr. Finnegan. Sorry, General Finnegan. But in 1862, recognizing the importance of Florida beef, to the Confederate cause, Finnegan gave a guy by the name of Jacob Summerlin permission to select 30 men from the state troops under his command to assist in dry, a giant cattle drive to drive Florida cattle north to feed the Confederate armies. 
Now, I, again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know everything about Florida because I don't. If there was a test on Florida today, I'd probably fail it. But I didn't know that you people had had cattle down there. I had no idea. I would never, so never have associated cattle with Florida. Gator meat, maybe, but but cows? That was not something. Dude, that... I have been jet skiing and seen cattle out on little islands, depending on how the water rises and falls on the St. Johns River with these cattle farms in the region. And, yeah, plenty of cattle here, dude, plenty. I had no idea, and I've been there several times, and I I didn't know. But as it turns out, it's Finnegan's idea, and it's Finnegan's project to feed the entire Confederate Army by driving all these cattle north. I, You know, it would have been hard to get them from Texas because of the Mississippi River and the problems with the blockade and that sort of stuff. But from Florida, they go right up there, and that's how the Confederates ate, at least for a while. Where are we sitting, Dave? By 1863, Finnegan, who is, by the way, the highest-ranking Confederate officer from Florida. He's yeah. he's he's your number one guy. guy. So th- by this point, they have named their primary military post Camp Finnegan, which, by the way, might still exist. It's a little unclear as to whether or not the camp still exists, but the... There is up on up near Amelia Island. There is a Camp Finnegan that is still named after him, that is still supposed to be somewhere near where this camp was. I have to go to Fernandina Beach again and find out. Well, this is this is up more towards Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, this is that's above yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. In 1863, Finnegan is really upset because uh, uh, rum is a problem. Rum, again, the Confederacy needs supplies. They need they need these rub, they need these blockade runners carrying guns, ammunition, medical supplies, blankets. They need military supplies. But the smugglers, the the blockade runners are going down to Cuba and they're buying rum for 17 cents a gallon. And then they come up here up to Florida, come down there to Florida and they sell it after running the blockade for $25 per gallon. Dollars or cents? Dollars. Ooh, a little bit of profit in that. Yeah, a lot of profit in that. Now, of course, you got to run the blockade. You got to, you know, deal with with the Union Navy and that sort of stuff. But, but at the same time, that's a lot of profit. It kind of makes it worth it. The problem is they're not carrying the military supplies that they need, and of course, they can get those supplies from Florida north because the Union can't cut them off yet. He is very upset about this. Finnegan or, or urges the governor to confiscate the vile article and destroy it before it can make any impact on army and civilian morals. That's what okay. he's really worried about. He's really worried about these people drinking alcohol because that's going to lower their morale and their morals, and it's going to create problems for, you know, the army. The bigger problem that he has, though, is that by 1864... The Union has occupied Jacksonville, which, of course, is a very strategic site if you're thinking about how this works. And now the Confederacy begins to panic. They begin to worry about, well, what happens if the Union cuts off Florida the way they did Texas and Arkansas? So they begin sending troops to Mr. Finnegan, sorry, General Finnegan, to hopefully prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. But we'll see if they are actually able 
to do that. Any idea how big his troops are, Dave? Yeah, again, he has about five to 6,000 troops. Now, again, it's a different universe. We tend to think of a big army, a division of 15,000 people. In that era, 5,000 men was a huge army. Huge. Had to be fed, had to be moved. Considered to be ample for the job? Yes, yes. Well, as ample as they could make it. I mean, by that point, the Confederacy had a manpower shortage, and problems were problems were rolling in. So there was uh, there was a lot of lot of issues with that. But the biggest problem is if if the if the Union can cut off Florida by by marching from Jacksonville along that railroad line to the Gulf of Mexico, basically the entire peninsula of Florida is a useless appendage at that point, except for the Cuban rum. We're back with Dave Bowman in moments here on WMMB. Your call's ahead if you're interested. For today's train of thought at 321-768-1240. Richmond and trans, Richmond Transmission and Auto Service bringing you this hour of the program. Dave Bowman with Dave Does History as we're talking Florida Confederate General Joseph Finnegan. I keep thinking of Captain Kirk and Wrigley's Pleasure Planet and Finnegan there, Dave. Yes, don't we all? Yes, we should anyway. <laughs> if we're anywhere plugged into all of this, yes. Oh, by January of 1864, Abraham Lincoln wanted a a reconstructed loyal state government in Florida, and so he asked the commander of the Union's Department of the South to take steps to make that happen. And so this guy's name is Quincy Gilmore. He's a major general. He decides to order an expedition into Florida to sever the Confederate supply routes and, while there, to recruit black soldiers. They land at Jacksonville, which had been an area already seized by the Union back in May of 1862, and they start making raids into the northeast and north-central Florida, meeting little resistance, seizing Confederate camps, and capturing small bands of troops and liberated slaves. But the guy who had been sent down there was under orders not to go deep into the state because, you know, you're kind of... You're kind of out there on a, on a, you know, hanging out there by yourself. So don't do that. As the Confederates begin to reinforce the area, because now there's a reason to, Finnegan has his troops and they're getting ready to do all this stuff. And now General Seymour of the Union gets his 5,500 troops and he decides he's going to actually complete this mission. He is going to cut off Florida from the rest of the Confederacy and he's going to do it by following that rail line that General Finnegan had been so much a part of back in the early days of Florida. Mm -hmm. So he begins to lead his 5,000-plus men towards a place called Lake City, but never makes it there. 
on the afternoon of February 20th, which was today in 1864, they meet General Finnegan's 5,000 Confederate troops entrenched near a place called Olusty Station. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that even close to right. Olusty or Olusty or something along those lines. Ocean Pond is, is the, the more uh, popular name for it. Uh, the opposing forces meet there and Seymour, the, the Union general, makes a mistake. He thinks that the, that Finnegan's troops are just militia troops that he had been, you know, messing with before and hadn't much, had much problem with. And so he decides to make a frontal assault, which, of course, never works against seasoned troops, which now Finnegan had. They, they are repulsed and just utterly destroyed. Ooh. The battle rages throughout the afternoon. Finnegan uses his, his entire force. The Union troops break, and they run. But Finnegan, like so many Civil War generals, makes the same mistake, if you can call it a mistake, that's made in other places. George Meade is accused of the same thing at Gettysburg. He doesn't follow it up. He doesn't, he doesn't chase it down. And so because of that, it's kind of one of those things where he's, he's sort of criticized, but not, you know, nobody else did either. So what's the fault? What's the point? They did kind of follow up, tried to make it a night attack, but it didn't work. Uh, that was repulsed by the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry, which is famous because that is uh, Colonel Robert Shaw's uh, black troops, the 54th right. Mass- Massachusetts General. The battle, the Union casualties, 203 killed, 1,100 wounded, 506 missing, which is a, that's a big number for missing. Well, the Confederate losses were lower, 93 killed, 847 wounded, and only six mi- missing. But it was still about 19% of their force. The unions all, the union also lost six artillery pieces and stuff like that. So it's a big Confederate win. Hooray, right? You would think. Yeah. You would think. But the union losses caused the northern authorities to question the necessity of whether or not we really need to be involved in the quote, militarily insignificant state of Florida, unquote. <laughs> Why are we providing cattle or what? Right. Really, um, by this point, you know, you're talking about Sherman is already starting to to push into the south, and is it really going to matter that much? Do we really need to to fiddle around with all this stuff? So the battle is remembered today. There is a park there, the Olusty Battlefield Historic Park. It's part of your Florida State Park System. It's on uh, US 90, in case you were wondering, uh, but but you can go. Up there, one of the things that bothers me is there's still no union memorial to it there, but, but you can, uh, you can visit the state park and see the Battle of Olusty, which was won by your, your highest ranking Florida general, Mr. Thomas Finnegan. Joseph Finnegan, sorry. I don't know why I changed his name to Thomas, but Joseph Finnegan, a Floridian from the beginning. Get a phone call or two in, Dave, before we uh, move on. Line one. You're up first in this hour. What's on your mind? I've been arrested on a Palm Bay. It's pronounced Oresti. They have a battle that started a re- reenactment back in the mid-1970s, and they have it every week that weekend. Pronounce it for me again, John. Oresti. Oresti. It's just east of, of Lake City. All yep. right. And I, I, and I actually sent it. Bill some pictures of that reenactment yesterday. Oh, very that, cool. That I had found on Facebook. So, yeah. 
Very cool. John, thank you. We appreciate that, that uh, interesting information. So what about after the battle and, and as the country came back together, Dave, what was left for General Finnegan? As he well, like most, like most Confederate generals, he lost everything, all his property. Remember, he built that mansion and had all mm-hmm. those slaves, and he lost all of that. What was different about Finnegan, though, unlike most of these other generals, is that he actually managed to, he had enough connections still politically and the likes of that, that he actually managed to hire a decent enough attorney that through some, quote, legal wrangling, unquote, that's what the the writer called it, uh, he actually managed to get his mansion back from the Freedman's Bureau, which had taken over it. And this is unusual. Most Confederate officers did not get their property back, especially general officers, did not get their property back like that. But he did. So yay for him, right? Except that the, then his attorney said, so that'll be, you know, <laughs> X amount of dollars, which, as it turned out, happened to be a little bit less than what he could sell his mansion for that he had just gotten back. So oh, he sells God. it to pay off the the attorney. And what you're telling me is his lawyers haven't changed since the Civil War. Oh God, no! Lawyers have <laughs> never haven't changed since the time of Shakespeare, right? Kill the lawyers. Yeah, there you but go. After that, he he kind of settles into the the life of a Southern gentleman, which of course for him is going to be some culture shock because things have changed now. You don't have in the post-war era. This is something most Americans really don't understand. While slavery had been abolished, it was replaced in most of the southern states by what was known as the Black Codes, which was essentially slavery without having ownership. There were there were laws in some of the southern states where you could be arrested just for being black and and prosecuted for that. It's 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 one of the worst most horrible uh, times in our in our nation's history and yet we never talk about it because all we want to talk about is well the civil war was over and so everything was great right no so you're talking jim crow related thing this makes this was jim crow on steroids okay. jim crow isn't 25% of what these black coats were these were wow. these were horrifyingly bad and if you want to you want to be angry about it or you should look that up. It's, it's just a, it's just a tragic period. But during this time, he settles in and becomes a cotton broker and, and lives out the rest of his life basically peaceful. He eventually dies of, of a fever and dies of a, of a, uh, you know, just the consumption or whatever and a brief illness, severe cold inducing chills. And he was hardy, unaffected, jovial, clear headed and keen witted to the end. And today you can go visit. Camp Finnegan up north near near Amelia Island. There is a Confederate statue there. It is not of him, but you can go visit that and kind of remember Brigadier Joseph Finnegan, Confederate State General. Line one, you're up next on Bill McLive. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, really enjoy your history uh, spots and uh, even uh, logged into the spot a couple times and it. Being very educational. Uh, my place of Florida history, before tourism and before citrus, that beef and cattle production was Florida's main industry. Uh, you might want to double check that for me, but from whatever old timers around here, that's kind of been the way it was. And in fact, the term Florida crackers 
comes from uh, the cattle uh, men trying to round up the cattle and crack in their whip. Yep, sure enough. I don't know if that's I don't know there's a couple of anybody else has ever heard that before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the call. Good to have you along and uh yeah, and still producing a lot of beef today. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna fact check you on that because it, it makes sense and I believe you and obviously they were doing it during the Civil War, but but I didn't know that. I would have never made that connection until I learned about Thomas Finnegan. Isn't Joseph that Finnegan. God, I did it again. Joseph Finnegan. Joseph Finnegan. Joseph Finnegan. Not what was Finnegan's first name in Star Trek? Do you remember? <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know. I probably Thomas. Yes. <laughs> Could that's be probably why. That's probably why. Could be. Uh, uh, yeah. So, well, and and what? I'm trying to remember how many years ago. It's been a dozen years or more, maybe a little longer, that we put uh, pregnant pig protections and with gestation crates and the like in the Florida Constitution. So it actually killed two major uh, pork farms that because the environmentalist and the folks from PETA had their way with us, apparently. So that's how that hmm. could be worse. Quick phone call before we're done. Line one, you're on Bill McLeod. Good morning. Good morning. Jim from Kokopee. Yeah, Jim, got under a minute here. Fire away, buddy. Well, I'll just say that I don't think Florida was too insignificant to the uh, Union uh, when it came to the battles because we were, Florida was the only state to sink a Union ship in, uh, in American history. Um, Florida and Gainesville, they also won another battle with whites out Massachusetts and uh, I think it was Connecticut uh, troops. So I think that they just learned their lesson after three battles and not winning that the, the Civil War maybe shouldn't go into Florida because we're going to get torn up. So it was the tough Floridian. Hey, interesting. Uh, certainly one yeah. way to look at it. <laughs> Except yeah. that that's not true. The South Carolinians sank the Housatonic using a submarine in the first submarine attack in history. Ask the submarine guy because he's going to know. Me say thank you to Richmond Transmission and Auto Service. They brought you this hour of the show. Tomorrow on Bill McLive, a wide open Wednesday. Coming up a little later today, I'm recording this weekend's edition of the Florida Roundtable. We're going to talk visit Florida and vacation opportunities or staycation opportunities for you around the state. That's going to be fun. And a look at uh, derelict vessel, vessels and a program in play for them. And uh, Dave Bowman, thank you, my friend. It was a good day, and I appreciate you joining us. Good history lesson this morning. Glad you had it. Make sure you talk about Camp Finnegan. We'll see you next week. See you then.